0: Second Bible reading today is taken from Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 26. And I've got that on page 1222. All right, Galatians 5. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you don't do what you want to. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. But since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other.
1: Well, good morning, friends. Um, This next week, Chris will be on leave. And so I have plenty of time. Give me a call if you like. That's no problem at all. Uh, We're going to have a look at this passage. There is an outline in the bulletin, so hopefully you'll find that helpful. Uh, But let's pray, ask that God might help us uh, once again as we consider this text. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we hear your word, uh, as we consider it, we pray that you'll be teaching us in the way we must live. In the way we must go to honour you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, well, friends, in a church like ours, where there are many of us who are migrants, where we're new to this country or we might have been here for decades, but we were at one time migrants. Now, some of us not be, might not be aware of this, but there's something that migrants have to learn, and that is not just the English language. We have to learn English, we've got our ears, our ministry. But migrants also have to come to learn the Australian slang. Now, many of us might not be aware of this, but it does take a while to get used to Australian slang. And so when we hear phrases like, Bob's your uncle, what does that mean? You say that to a migrant, they're thinking, I don't have an uncle named Bob. Or you say, she'll be right. You say that to someone who's new to the English language, what might they think? Who is she? Which girl are you talking about? or cool bananas. Have you heard of that before? What does that mean? How are bananas cool? Or when you invite someone over, would you like to join us for tea? What does that mean? Come for a drink uh, a cup of tea or for dinner? What do we mean? But there is one common Australian greeting that we pick up quickly and that is how you're going. Have you heard that before? How are you going? But if you're in America, that's not what they say there. They say, How are you doing? But then, if you're from uh, high society England, you, you don't say that too. You say, How do you do? In a very posh accent. But they all mean the same thing, don't they? How are things in life? How are you going? How's your family? Now, how do Australians tend to answer that question? Well, it's not really a question that brings us to deep, soul searching reflection, is it? It's really a simple answer often, not bad. How are you going? Not bad. But you see, this morning, we're being asked by the apostle another question, a similar question, but a deeper question. Not so much how are you going, but how are you walking? That is, how are you walking in your Christian life? How are you walking as the child of the living God? How are you walking as one who belongs to the king of the universe? And what Paul wants from us in this passage is not that simple answer, not bad. He wants us to do some deep self-reflection on how we are in fact going as a Christian. And so the question for all of us this morning is, how are you walking? In this passage, the apostle makes, makes three simple points. He says, how are you walking? Well, you can't walk both ways. That's the first point. Second point, he says, Don't walk that way, that is, in the way of the flesh. And the third point is, but walk the other way, in the way of the spirit. Three simple points. You can't walk both ways. Don't walk that way, but walk this other way. And so firstly, let's have a look. We'll work our way through this passage. So so keep your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Now what we see here is that if you are a Christian, that is, you have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness, Into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You were once spiritually dead, dead in your sin, but you have been made alive in Christ. Poor Saint, you can't live both ways. You can't choose to, at the same time, live a life that honors God, but also at the same time, choose to live a life of sinful rebellion. You can't live both ways. You either walk by the Spirit this new way. Or walk by your flesh, your sinful nature. The the word here we see in this passage is the word flesh. It describes our sinful nature, our old self. And so let's have a look, verses 16 to 18. So I say, live. It's literally walk. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's the word flesh there. For the flesh, the sinful nature, desires what is contrary to the Spirit... And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. And so, Paul's really making quite a simple point. You can't walk both ways. Try walking both ways. Try try keeping one foot on the pier and one foot on a boat. You can't go both ways. You can't choose to be at the same time generous and also greedy. It's impossible. You can't choose to be at the same time honest and truthful, but then also a shameless liar. That's also impossible. You can't choose to be at the same time humble, but also proud. You can't walk both ways. It's either by the Spirit or by the flesh, not both. And so, the question for us to consider as we do some deep reflection how are you walking? Well, Paul goes on to say here, quite bluntly, don't walk that way. Don't walk that old way. Don't walk the way of the flesh. Don't walk the way of your shameful past. Don't walk the way of the sinful nature. And then he goes on to describe What is that like? Well, here we find a series of 15 vices, 15 attitudes of weakness. They're just bad and they're pretty obviously bad. And we see that here. Now we can group these vices into four broad groups. It just helps us understand the, the list of fifteen words. The first group of words relate to sexual sins. The second group relates to religious sins. The third group relates to relational sins between people. And the fourth relates to substance abuse. So let's have a look. The first group. The first three, three relates to sexual type of sins. Have a look, verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and abortory. Now what do these mean? Well sexual immorality, it's a word that comes from the original word porneia. It's where we get the English word pornography from. It's really a catch-all term for all forms of sexual stimulation or sexual arousal outside the context of faithful exclusive marriage and so it can be verbal you know the seductive words to someone you're not married to that is not on paul says it can be visual the wandering eye paul says that's not on it can be virtual that is only in the mind the fantasies in the mind paul says that's not on as well and of course it can be physical whether that's private or public natural or unnatural sexual morality there's nothing that is right there. Or impurity, the second word. That's about unnatural sexual relations. And debauchery. it's about uncontrolled sexual relations. And so Paul's making quite clear. These sexual sins are of the flesh, are of your old life. Don't walk in that way. Now I wonder how easy it is for, to forget just how serious sexual sins are. See, we live in a world today where, where there's sexual laxity and you can do almost anything. You're encouraged to do almost anything by our society, by our culture. It's become so promiscuous. I mean, think about pornography. That, that's just normalised now today. Our safe church unit in our denomination, they, they've given us information that just informs us of how depraved pornography has become. Very different to 25 years ago where it's hard to get to at the newsagents up high. Or even today, premarital sex. That's just expected. I remember even amongst my high school friends, they they boast about their sexual exploits. Paul says, this is not on. Or extramarital affairs is approved of today. There are industries set up to encourage such affairs. They normalise it. I mean... It wouldn't even be surprising if amongst a congregation this size, there are some of us who struggle in this area. But what does Paul say? Don't walk that way. That's not the way you're meant to live. Don't walk that way. Now the next group of sins relates to religious sins. So verse 20, there's idolatry and then there's witchcraft. Idolatry is to place anything above God. To love or serve anything or anyone above God, that is idolatry. To bow down to created things in this world rather than the creator outside this world, that is idolatry. And so they can be bowing down to statues. But it also can be giving a life to things like wealth or success or reputation or worldly pleasures. If they take a place above God, that is also an idol. And then Paul also points out here witchcraft. Witchcraft is to try to manipulate the spiritual realm, really appealing to demonic forces. Paul says, what does he say? Don't walk that way. So we've got sexual sins, we've got religious sins. The next seven vices now relates to relational sins. These are sins that destroys and breaks down relationships between people. They tear down rather than build up. They are hateful rather than love. They're selfish rather than selfless. So let's have a look. Verse 20. There's hatred, that is to wish evil for someone else. There's discord, that is to have fights. There's jealousy, that is to want something that doesn't belong to us. There's fits of rage, that is to lose temper. Selfish ambition, that is to think of me first. Dissensions, that is to have conflicts. Factions, to create division And envy, that's a bit covetous. I mean, just imagine family life where it looks like that. Shaped by those vices. I mean, I wouldn't want to be in that family. I wouldn't want to see that family. That would not be a healthy family. Or imagine church life. A community of believers. A community of redeemed people. And it looked like that. That would not be a healthy church. But the sad fact is that there are families that are shaped by these vices. It's not on, is it, Paul says. It breaks down relationships between people. Marriages are broken. Families are torn apart. But also, sadly, it happens even in churches. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Even in churches where these are a body of believers redeemed and saved, but it happens in churches. Even earlier this year, I heard of one church where, because of things like this within the church, they just couldn't get on infighting, division, factions. What that has led to is that one congregation was pretty much completely destroyed. Terrible, isn't it? Paul says, What does he say? Don't walk that way. Never allow these things to shape your family life, your own life, your church life. Don't walk that way. Now, the fourth group we've got here, two vices remaining, relates to substance abuse. So, verse 21, there's drunkenness and orgies. Getting drunk, never okay for a Christian, never okay. Pretty clear. Orgies, that's speaking about sort of drunken parties, wild parties. It was a common sight at pagan temples in the ancient world. But even today, it's a common sight at wild parties, the nightlife of much of Melbourne. What does Paul say? Don't walk that way. Now, why do you think Paul was so strict about these matters? Why do you think God is so strict about these matters? Don't do that. I mean, isn't this why Christianity is sometimes described as a killjoy? You know, there's no fun in Christianity, so restrictive... But you see why God made it so plainly clear? Don't walk that way. Why is that? It's because there are consequences. Deadly consequences. Eternal consequences. You see, this is a matter of whether you're in the kingdom of God or you're out. It's a matter of heaven and hell. Look at verse 21. Have a look with me. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this might not inherit the kingdom of God? That those who live like this probably won't inherit the kingdom of God? Is that what we see? We see that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is that serious. Your life reflects on where your destiny will be. And so Paul is not saying here, he's not speaking of the occasional lapse that that disqualifies a believer from the kingdom of heaven. Everyone sins, we know that. Christians sin, we fall, we, we make mistakes, we struggle, we struggle with sin intensely. But what Paul is speaking of here is the pattern of life, that you continue to walk that way, you continue to walk down that path. And if you continue to do that, that is to stop you from inheriting the kingdom of God. And so Paul says quite clear you know where that's going to lead don't walk that way but then instead our third point walk the other way walk the way of the spirit that's the way that bears fruit now notice here in this in this passage how many fruits do we see there's in fact only one fruit do you notice that the word fruit here is singular it's the fruit of the spirit Not the fruits of the Spirit. It is singular, not plural. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. You see, the Spirit produces one fruit, one big giant fruit, and it is seen in all these many ways. It is to stop us from thinking that I can pick and choose what I like. You see, it's not like going to the supermarkets, to Woolies, to the fresh food department, and and we can pick and choose. I mean, I like the the apple of love, so I'll pick that. But I'm going to leave the, the durian, you know the durian? I'm going to leave the durian of self-control, can't have that. I'm going to pick love, not that. I'm going to pick the grape of joy, but I'm going to leave the banana of patience. You see, you can't pick and choose. That's, that's the point Paul is getting out to see. It is one fruit, it is all or nothing, and it is the Spirit of God. Who, who does this in believers? Who produces this fruit in all believers? And so, what are the fruit? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, here we can group them again broadly into three categories. Firstly, the first category primarily about our attitude towards God, second, our attitude towards each other, and third one is really about ourselves. So let's have a look. The first one. The first three here concerned primarily with our attitude towards God. Verse 22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's to say our first love must be towards God. And when it is directed towards God, it will overflow to others. There must be love. Joy is described. Joy is that inner lasting joy despite the circumstances in life. You see it can be sad and unhappy but also at the same time joyful because of what God has done in Christ and I've seen this amongst people in this congregation there have been quite a few who have been through really difficult times, tough times of illness and trial and there's much tears but yet there remains in some of these people that inner joy that despite this trial despite the suffering that God has not withdrawn his love and there is great joy in that But then here we also see peace. Peace, no matter what's happening in life, to know that we are at peace with God, never his enemy anymore, always his child. That is to have peace. So that's towards God. Now the second group relates primarily with our attitude towards each other. Verse 22, we see patience, kindness, goodness. Our patience means if I I care enough for you, I won't rush you, I'll wait for you, I'll take my time with you, I won't give up on you. That's to be patient with one another. Kindness, that is in the way we speak, in the way we act, in the way we think towards one another, our intention of building up rather than tearing down. And then there's goodness, that is to be genuine, to be there for the good of others. And our final three relates primarily with how we are Towards ourselves, Verses 22 and 23, there's faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Faithfulness, what does that mean? It's talking about the integrity of the person. You know that old saying, a man should keep his word. If I say I'll do something, I will do it. That's a man of integrity. If I say I'll be somewhere, I will be there. That is to be faithful to who you are. Gentleness, that's a person who's humble and not self-absorbed. Self-control, well, that's a person who's in control of what he says, what he does, how he feels, what he desires. And so these nine together make up one giant fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. So what does Paul say? Well, we don't walk that old way, very clearly. Don't walk that old way. And just in case we've forgotten, he reminds us again in verse 24. Have a look. You've put to death that old way you've crucified that old way you've killed it verse 24 those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires so that is is, don't walk that old way you've put it to death you've killed it already you've crucified your old way you've killed your sin you leave it at the cross I mean that's what the Puritans meant when they spoke of the mortification of sin the mortification you mortify you kill it Don't walk that way. But instead, what does Paul say? Well, walk the way of the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Follow the Spirit. Our final verses, 25 and 26. Since we live by the Spirit or walk by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. You see, we bear the fruit of the Spirit... If we keep in step with the Spirit, we walk in step with the Spirit. But you see, it's not a matter of my inner strength. It's not because I muster up my own strength, I try harder, my own willpower, that I produce this fruit. Who's producing this fruit? You see, this fruit comes from the Spirit. He bears his fruit in us as he leads us down the path of following him. You see, as the Spirit of God in us believers, as the Spirit of God convicts us, challenges us, he also empowers us and transforms us to produce this fruit. Walk that way. Pretty clear, isn't it? I find this passage, though it's quite simple to understand, it's, it's quite clear, but the effort is actually applying it. And so let's think about that. We, we can't walk both ways. We don't walk that way, but now we walk this way, in the way of the Spirit. And so the question we must ask ourselves is, how are we walking? How are you walking? Some of you have been believers for decades. How are you walking? Some of you have been believers only in the recent months. How are you walking as a Christian? You see, how you walk reveals a lot about you. You see, how you walk reveals whether you have the spirit or not. How you walk in life reveals whether you will belong to the kingdom of God or not. And so it is serious how we walk as Christians. You see, too often I, th- I think Christians, we try to get the best of both worlds. But you can't. You can't get the best of both worlds. You can't live for the things of this world but want the things of the next You can't choose the freedom of licentious living but also want the benefits of salvation. You can't be self-absorbed and selfish but then claim the redemption of the selfless saviour. You see, none of us can turn up to God one day and say, Look, God, look at my life, the life that you've given me. Look at all that I have amassed. Look at all that I've achieved in my life, in my career, in my job. Look at all that I've done for my family. Look at all that I've accumulated here on earth. Look, the people around me, they honour me, they respect me. Look, Lord, at all that I've done. But now, Lord, give me eternal life. You see, you can't have it both ways. If we live for this world, that's all we get. You can't, live, you can't get it both ways. It's one or the other. But then as we do some self-reflection... How how we walk must also remind us of something very important. It must remind us of why we're doing what we're doing as we reflect on our past week, our past month. How we walk should show to us why we're doing what we're doing. You see, if I choose to live a life where I'm, I'm sexually immoral, where I'm selfish all the time, I think about myself all the time, I'm jealous and envious and I'm drunk, then I'm really saying something serious to God. I'm saying to God, my way of living is better than your design for living. You have no idea, God, how life is to be lived. You see, if I continue down that path, that is what I am, I am saying to God. And that really is the heart of human rebellion. But if I understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, if I understand what God has done for me in his Son, How can I choose that path any longer? Rather, I crucify that old life. Now, I find this a helpful way for me to remember. Jesus died for my sins so that I might die to my sins. It's past. We kill it off. We don't continue to wallow and revel and carouse in it. You see, Jesus paid for my sins at the cross, so I must leave them nailed to the cross mortifying sin you see how we live is really important It, it might it might point out our final destiny but how we live now in fact continues to reflect on what our God is like and so if I continue to bear fruit the fruit of the spirit I in fact show to those around me what God is like how wonderful he is if I'm loving I'm pointing to others showing to others that my God is loving if I'm patient and joyful I'm Telling the world my God is joyful and patient. If I'm kind and good and faithful, I'm telling the world my God is also good and kind and faithful. But if I bear the fruit of sin, what does that say about my God? That will bring great disgrace on our Father in heaven. That's what it does. Now, as a as a minister at this church. I know that being here each week, that my life is always on display all the time. But I suspect it's not just my life, but it's also the life of my family, my Yvonne and the kids. You know, the the kids, their life is also on display. It's a unique pressure that pastors' kids have. But whether that's right or wrong, whether we like it or not, I know for a fact that how my kids behave each Sunday morning will reflect on me i don't like that but it does and so often you'll see me eyeballing them behave (laughs) hopefully you don't think too differently about me but you see far more important than that how we live as christians in the home in the church in this world in our workplace at school will that bring disgrace to our heavenly father or will that bring him honor and glory what great disgrace it would be if it is because of us that we turn our friends and family away from God. But how wonderful it is if because of us we draw people in. We draw people in because of the fruit of the Spirit. You see, Christians, we should always be known by the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. In the, in the church, in the early church, in fact, that was what they were known for. The the Christians were filled with the fruit of the spirit and their lives drew people in. The pagan world were drawn in by their living. Do you know during the second century there was this devastating 50-year epidemic of smallpox that swept through the Roman Empire. About a third of the population were killed off because of that epidemic. And then 100 years later, another epidemic swept through and killed many more people. And do you know what happened during the two plagues? It was a complete disaster. Everyone around was dying. No one was immune. No one was exempt. The poor were dying. Even emperors were dying. And so pagans in the city, do you know what they did? They left their families. They left their friends in the cities. They went to the country. They left the people around them. They left their families literally on the streets to die. It was out of control during this period. But do you know what the Christians did? Do you know what they were like? Do you know how they walked? They continued to walk by the Spirit. They showed the fruit of the Spirit. They showed love and patience and joy and kindness and faithfulness. They remained in the city and they nursed the sick. They helped them back to health. And many Christians, because of that, because they stayed to care for the sick, many of those Christians did lose their lives contracting the disease for those they cared for. But what did they show? They showed the fruit of the Spirit. They showed love even when love was not shown to them. Because they continued to walk by the Spirit, many pagans were won over to their God. In fact, it even left an emperor, a Roman emperor, Julian, a century later. He was confused why the Christians were loving the pagans better than the pagans were loving their own. But that is what life is like for the one who walks by the Spirit. The way of the first Christians must continue to be the way of us Christians today. We must be drawing people in because of the fruit of the Spirit. And so finally... The question again, how are you walking? You see, if we belong to Christ, we must be resolved at this, to live through each decision, each hour, each day, each week, each year, each decade, walking by the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, being empowered by the Spirit to do so in fact, this is so important for quite a while now, for at least a year. This this has become my daily prayer, to pray through the fruit of the Spirit, that God might grant me and work in me these, these wonderful things. This morning, it was joy, tomorrow will be peace. And do you know the wonderful hope of all this? That God is working in us by His Spirit? Well, slowly but surely, for us who do believe, this is what will happen author C.S. Lewis, he, he, he puts it wonderfully. He, he said this, God will make the feeblest and the filthiest of us into God and goddesses, a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine, a bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly his own boundless power and delight and goodness. I mean, isn't that wonderful that that is what God is doing in us by his Spirit? And so the question is, how are you walking? Well, our prayer is that we'll all be walking by the Spirit. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that in your kindness and mercy, you will produce in us the same kindness and mercy. Grow in us the fruit of the Spirit as you have promised, that our lives might become a better and better reflection of your son Jesus to this world who so desperately need him. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.